Thank you, guys. And great is his faithfulness. I know, man, and it's um, what's going on in the world right now is we, we got to stay faithful to what, you know, we say, God, are you, you on this? Right? I mean, it makes you wonder sometimes, but we know that God knows what's going on. And it, even though we don't, he does. Um, welcome this morning. So glad y'all are here. I know we've got saw a lot of people I haven't seen in a while that are here. Um, we're going to be ordaining Tisha James a little bit later in the service, and uh, so it's great to have y'all here. Or if you're here for the first time, just checking us out at Southwest, we're so glad you're here. We're honored that you're here to worship with us, and uh, we're going to uh, get to uh, the sermon here in just a minute. But a couple things. One is uh, just thank you for being here, especially on on uh, when we lose an hour, right? That's hard. <laughs> We're a little bit struggling. I had a little extra coffee and Red Bull in you this morning, right? I understand that. But thank you all for being here. And uh, also, uh, we are very concerned about what's going on in Ukraine and and all that in Europe. And uh, Jonathan, Heather, and uh, Maya and Sasha, very close to those folks that they uh, lived and worked with and served with for so long. So we're continuing to pray that. But I've asked Jonathan to do something for us to help us with a specific prayer initiative of the needs of the people in Ukraine because they know them so well. So Jonathan's done that, and this week we'll be sending that out um, in our newsletter. It'll be on our website, and uh, so you can have something you can specifically pray for Ukraine about. So I appreciate you doing that, uh, Jonathan. Uh, So please, I know y'all are praying, but this kind of really focuses our prayer every day on on that situation. Well, we've uh, started a new series called Road to Resurrection, and uh, we've been trying to also follow along in this Lenten season, which is the 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Resurrection Sunday, not counting Sundays, where historically the early church and uh, throughout history has said, hey, let's focus on that time leading up to Resurrection Sunday on Jesus, why he had to come, why he had to come and die on that cross and ultimately rise again for us. Why do we need to know that? Why does that need to be so much a part of our life? And we need those reminders in a very distracted a culture that we lived in. So we're doing that. And in our um, Sunday school classes and our middle school and high school student ministries, they've been doing this thing called the Easter experience during Sunday school. Um, some of y'all came out of that in Jonathan's class this morning. And then we've got a couple of adult, adult Sunday school classes right now talking about the Easter experience. And we're trying to tie those classes together with our sermon series. So today I want to take you back maybe... Uh, A lot of y'all have probably seen this movie. In 2004, a movie came out directed by Mel Gibson called The Passion of the Christ. If you've seen that, man, you leave that movie and you're almost in shock, aren't you, after seeing uh, Jesus in his last 12 hours of his life portrayed in a just a gruesome, vivid way that made you just go, holy, you know, wow, what did Jesus went through for me? And just it made you just walk away. And uh, if you've not seen that, I would suggest you seeing that. Now, obviously, you know, younger kids, it's probably not the best thing. But um, teenagers, you should see it. I mean, it, it will make you, from a graphic standpoint, realize the, the brutality that Jesus went through on that cross and even before that for us. But as that film was made, it was sometimes criticized uh, by some saying that it was anti-Semitic. And, and Mel Gibson never pointed a finger at anybody. Matter of fact, he said in several interviews that all of us are responsible for Jesus' death because of our sin. And that's true, isn't it? We all are responsible for putting Jesus on that cross. But in the movie, Gibson portrays this in a remarkable way. You never see his face 
in the movie, and some of you may know this, but ultimately in that movie, you, he, uh, he does make a, an appearance. And what you see are these hands nailing Jesus' hands to the cross, and it's Mel Gibson's hands. And he did that on purpose because he wanted to feel and say, I'm responsible for Jesus' death, just like anybody else. It wasn't just the Jews, it wasn't just the Romans, it was all of us. So he did that specifically in that movie. And if you think about Jesus hanging on that cross, possibly the first people that Jesus saw as he's looking down from the cross hanging there is the Roman soldiers, because they have just beaten him almost to death, and now they've nailed him on the cross, and they stand that cross up, and Jesus is looking down, and he sees probably first a lot of folks, but specifically those Roman soldiers, because they're in charge of the crucifixion. And not only just Jesus, but these other two that are beside him, these other two men. And, um, and when I was reading a little bit about Roman soldiers today, and you know, he probably saw, you know, those red things they had on their helmets, kind of like that, little, little things. And it says they, they actually made those about six inches off their helmets, and it made them actually look taller than they really were. So when you saw a bunch of them coming, you go, man, those guys are really big. So it was just another kind of intimidation thing. So Jesus is probably looking down and seeing these soldiers with those red things on their helmets and the, the swords and the spears just waiting. And that's what they do. That's their job, to wait till these criminals, or Jesus, who was not a criminal, to just die. And what were they doing? Well, they're watching and waiting for Jesus to die, but they're also, if you remember, the Gospels tell us that they gambled for Jesus' clothes. There were some clothes, and whenever there was somebody that was going to die, they didn't need their clothes anymore, so soldiers gamble for him. So let's look at John, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to look at his account from verse uh, chapter 19, starting in verse 23 and 24. Thank you. And listen to what John said. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lot, lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. So John was a, a, an eyewitness to what happened, and he's telling us about what happened as those soldiers um, were uh, at the crucifixion of Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. What was it like to be a Roman soldier and be assigned to crucifixion duty? I mean, somebody had to do it. The Romans had perfected crucifixion, hadn't they? It was a deterrent. It was a shocking and intimidating deterrent that they came up with. It sent this message. Those who rebel against Rome, you will end up on a cross. You rebel against our authority, you will end up nailed to a cross to your death. And the Roman soldiers had seen many crucifixions and some had been a part of performing these. I would guess that sometimes all soldiers had to per perform or be a part of one of those crucifixions. And tradition holds that when Jesus was a teenager, there was a, a Jewish rebellion or uprising near the town of Nazareth where he lived. And the Roman army crushed that rebellion to ensure that that would not happen. No more rebellions would happen after this one. So one of the things that they did is they crucified an Israelite every 10 meters along the road for a distance of about 10 miles. Can you imagine that? And can you imagine Jesus as a teenager walking along that 10-mile stretch and seeing every few meters someone on the cross, a dead man on a cross nailed there? 
not only Jesus, but anybody that walked along that stretch would see that and go, they're not messing around. I don't like them. Matter of fact, I hate them, and I wish they weren't in power, but I ain't saying anything. I don't want to end up like that. And so I would imagine it became so commonplace in the Roman world. We can see how the soldiers dismissed Jesus. It's just another person, another rebel who's trying to stir up trouble here in uh, Israel, in Palestine, and we're going to have to squelch that rebellion. So it became very familiar to them, and maybe that's why they weren't really understanding the magnitude of who was on that cross. They had seen all this before. It's kind of a law of familiarity that states no matter how valuable, given enough time, everything will be taken for granted. You ever heard that saying? No matter how valuable, given enough time, everything will be taken for granted. And you think about that. At some point, things just, you know, they run their course. And that was true, I think, for the soldiers when it came to carrying out a crucifixion. They had done it so much, they had become so used to this that it was just part of being a soldier. And these soldiers had probably performed so many crucifixions that it was methodical for them. It was a nasty business, but it was their job, and they probably had become accustomed to it. Now, Roman soldiers, that was a big deal. You were serving your country. You know how we're very proud of our military, those who serve in our military, the men and women? And we hold them in high esteem for, for, for giving of their time. Well, it was no different in Roman times. Matter of fact, they were a war machine. They, they were controlling almost the whole world in the Roman Empire. And so I read, and it amazed me, the average stay for a Roman soldier during that Roman Empire was 25 years. Can you imagine that? From 18 till the middle of 45. It was an honor. And also, if you lasted that long from about 18 or 19 years old all the way to the middle of your 40s, you would get a pension and you would get land granted to you because of your service. So that was something they looked forward to. And they wanted to be a part of this huge Roman Empire. So it was a big deal. So you can imagine they got accustomed to these crucifixions. And you get the impression it was no big deal anymore. Just another day at work, they got used to the screams. They had seen the grimaces. They had listened to these pleas for mercy. They knew what to expect. They had heard family members crying and begging them not to drive the nails. But they were used to all of that. And they were, they were used to watching. After they nailed a man to the cross, they're just watching. Here we are. We're going to wait till he finally breathes his last. Watching those guys struggle, trying to push up on that little little wooden thing that was holding their feet and they were bleeding out and watching them try and they would watch them go up and down and try to get one more breath from their lungs and then finally seeing them. Said, all right, let's take them down. Let's bury them. Let's go to dinner. It was part of their life. For many of us, the story of Jesus can also become quite familiar. Maybe we heard it as a little child. Maybe we had a, a parent or a grandparent, maybe a Sunday school teacher with the flannel graphs. Y'all remember the flannel graphs? Some of you young people going, flannel what? Somebody portrayed what it was about Jesus going to the cross. But as you grew older, you heard the story at church every year around this time of Lent and Easter. And perhaps you've discovered that familiarity breeds indifference. It can become old. And perhaps you've discovered that you've been through lots of devotionals during Easter or Lent. Maybe you've seen Jesus movies, Good Friday services and Easter services. And every time this year comes, yeah, it's important, but maybe you've just become a little indifferent. And maybe you and I have become indifferent to Jesus and his suffering, maybe like those Roman soldiers. 
I was convicted of that several years ago. I went to Haiti on a mission trip. And, and on that mission trip, I remember one night they were going to show the Jesus movie, which was made, I want to say, in an, I think at the end of the 70s, like 79 or 80, they made this movie, Campus Crusade for Christ. Probably many of y'all have seen it. It's called The Jesus Movie. And this Jesus movie, I thought was pretty good, but the acting was kind of bad. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of low budget. You know what I'm saying? But it was a good portrayal of Jesus' life. But it wasn't like an all-star cast or anything like that. But they showed that movie, and I remember seeing it. So that's, that's a good movie. And then they took it all over the world, Campus Crusade, through evangelism, took it all over the world, and they would dub in whatever language it was for those people so they could hear it in their own language. And I remember being in Haiti, and we were going to watch it one night, and all these people came. And I was thinking, I wonder what their response is going to be because, you know, it's mostly a white cast you know, and the, the English-speaking Jesus and, and all of that. And I thought, I don't, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. But let me tell you all something. While they, when they started showing that movie, many of these Haitians had never even seen a movie. But as they're watching it, every time Jesus came out, they knew who Jesus was, and they all cheered. And the first time when he came out, everybody started cheering. And I was like, well, what was that about? And they did it every time, and I was like, wow. And then when they showed the crucifixion, I mean, there was all this commotion that went on. This anger was welling up inside the whole crowd. And again, I was kind of like, what was that? And it made me think, man, they take this serious. This is their Jesus. This is their Savior, and somebody's crucifying him. They felt that emotion. I was like, man, I've become too familiar with this story, and I don't appreciate it like they do. So it is possible, I think, sometimes for those of us who attend church regularly or hear the story over again, that we can become so familiar with the cross that we're no longer moved by it. Maybe you grew up in the church and you sang the songs, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and you can sing the songs, maybe even some of the more popular songs about the cross. And sometimes we sing it, but we don't really pay attention to the words and what it's actually pointing us to. Or maybe you're part of a faith tradition like we are here and we take communion on a regular basis every week, in fact, and you've discovered that that familiarity doesn't always bring intimacy when we're taking communion. It often brings indifference, which brings us back to our question that we asked last week. If what happened then, what if what happened then changes everything now? What if what happened then with Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, if that has really happened, shouldn't it change everything for us here and now? And the answer is yes, it should. And Lent reminds us that we dare not let Jesus' suffering and his death for us become commonplace and familiar now. Because when we do, we don't connect with the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice for all of us and for all of humanity and we don't recognize that it calls for a change of our heart and our mind and our actions daily. Daily I need to be reminded that I need to change because of what Jesus has done. And I think about that. I can become... You ever caught yourself in the middle of communion with you drifting? It happens. You ever caught yourself drifting in the middle of the sermon? Somebody around and go, what, what? Somebody's preaching? It happens. We don't mean to, but we, we, we drift off and... We need to be, have reminders that become familiar sitting in church sometimes. But I think the second reason that also that maybe those Roman soldiers became accustomed and, and didn't really recognize the magnitude of what was happening was prejudice. They were turned off by the Jews and how they presented God as God's people. And they were the only people that God really loved. That's how the Jews came across to many of the Romans. And prejudice can make us do terrible things, can't it? 
We've read about a lot of that throughout lifetime. Not just in 2020, got brought out a lot in 2020, but that kind of stuff still lies in all of culture, doesn't it? Prejudices. In the late 1960s, during the the civil rights movement here in Atlanta in a very prominent Baptist church in downtown Atlanta. I heard this true story. It said it was very early in the morning and uh, there were just a few people at this all-white church. And this black lady came in and she wanted to come to church and she came right in and nobody was hardly there yet. Like I said, but just a few people and a few deacons. And she came and sat kind of in the middle of one of the pews and just sat there and waited for church to start. And one of the deacons walked in and he's like, oh no, there's a black lady, what do we do? And he kind of walked back and he just kept looking and he went and he got a couple of other deacons and some other people that were there early. And they, what do we do? We got a black person here. And y'all are laughing, but this really happened. So you know what they did? They couldn't decide what to do, so they turned the lights off and left and just canceled the service. I'm not lying, y'all. Now, y'all say, oh my gosh, because we think that really didn't happen. I, I know telling my kids, you're telling your kids about some of the stuff that happened in our country and we go, oh, that didn't happen. We go, yeah, it did, y'all. I'm embarrassed for humanity, for Americans, for Georgians or Atlanta, whatever. I'm embarrassed that some of us did stuff like that, but we did. And the Romans and the Jews hated each other. They had this prejudice towards one another. The Romans hated being stationed as a military soldier in Palestine, in Israel. They looked down on the Jews as inferior people. We have to come out here. We'd rather be in Rome and Italy. It's a lot nicer. But out in this God-forsaken desert of a land in Palestine, we've got to come make sure y'all don't get in all these arguments and have all these squirmishes. We've got to be here because of you and your crazy religion and all your sacrifices and all your rules. And we will never be good enough to be one of you. That's how the Romans felt. And it might even reflect how many Americans have thought for years about us going to other countries and trying to keep the peace. Why are we sending our soldiers over there? Why are our soldiers putting their lives on the line for these people who can't get it together and are always fighting those people over in the Middle East? Hey, I've thought it. And this is the way they felt. Why are we here? Risking our lives for these people. And so the Romans couldn't stand the Jews and the feeling was mutual. The Jews were proud, independent people. We don't need you keeping the peace. You don't understand. You have many gods. You're pagans. You're Gentiles. But we are God's people. We are proud, independent. We don't need your Roman rules and your Greek culture here. There was name-calling, there was ridicule, racial slurs were hurled back and forth. And there were some called the, the Jewish zealots who even carried knives under their cloaks and looked for an opportunity to stab a soldier, maybe in a crowd, or find him alone on a dark alley and even murder him for the cause. And chances are, because of all those prejudices toward the Jews, the Roman soldiers relished the opportunity to torture a Jewish man and see him die. And they were so prejudiced against the people of God that they never really understood who it was that was dying on the cross that day and that he was dying for them. Not just the Jews, but for them, for the whole world. What about us today? Maybe we've missed or dismissed Jesus because we've developed a prejudice against church people against Christians who claim to be his followers. Maybe the church has left such a bad taste in your mouth that you won't even try and taste and see that the Lord is good. We've all had our hurts at the hands of some 
person who claimed to be a Christian, that claimed to be a Jesus follower, haven't we? We've had somebody hurt our feelings. Somebody that was a, a church leader, a church authority that said or did something that hurt us or somebody that we loved. We've all seen that. It's real. We've had an experience with a hypocritical church goer who said one thing but lived in a different way. A young minister was in Los Angeles, California, trying to plan a church in a, in a place that really didn't have many churches. And one of the first things him and his team did was go out in this neighborhood where they were going to plant this church. And they went door to door to door and asked people, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And if you don't, why don't you go? And they tried to take track of all these answers that they got. And, well, the number one answer wasn't too surprising. We don't go to church because church is boring. Why y'all laughing? Okay? But the second one was surprising. The number two answer was this. I don't really like the Christians I know. Wow. That's kind of an endorsement, isn't it? And we know that can be true sometimes. But what does that mean? How true is that? We've prevented other people from taking the gospel seriously or from maybe even taking Jesus seriously because of our hypocritical behaviors. And it's true, unfortunately. But does that mean that what Jesus did for you on the cross and through his resurrection is no longer valuable? It's like this. We've all had a teacher we didn't like or was not maybe a good teacher, but do we say, I'm never going to school again. I'm never going to take any, any, any kind of educational courses because I had one bad teacher. I'm never playing sports again because I had a bad coach or a bad teammate. I'm never playing again. We don't say that, but sometimes we do that with the gospel. Because somebody messed up church, I'm never going to have anything to do with church or God again. And I know that there's real hurt, y'all. I'm not trying to minimize that. But God's not going to let us off the hook on that. One day, am I going to stand justified before God by saying, sorry, I couldn't follow Jesus because some church people were judgmental and they were mean to me and they were hypocrites. So I rejected Jesus and I rejected his death and his resurrection and his gift of eternal life and I refused to be a part of his bride, the church, because of what happened on that occasion. I don't think God's going to let us off the hook. But y'all make no mistake, we have a huge responsibility of sharing to the world who Jesus really is in our everyday lives, don't we? We are the only Jesus that some people will ever see, and we have to make a good impression. But we can't allow what others do or say keep us from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't let the, the religious leaders and their hateful treatment of him, even unto death, keep him from doing what the Father sent him to do. You know it was hard for Jesus every day to go out and teach, knowing they were just standing there criticizing him. But we cannot become indifferent and simply give up on being who God has called us to be in a fallen world, in a broken world. Because you do not worship the church leaders. That's not who you worship. Or people at the church or programs at the church. Hebrews writer says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Not a preacher, not a teacher, not some person in the church. And it says, For who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the perfecter of our faith. That's who we worship. And the last reason I think maybe the soldiers were indifferent to Jesus on the cross was this. Distractions. 
distractions. They were focused on other things. Did you notice what the soldiers were preoccupied with? Yeah, they had a job to do. They were supposed to make sure no one in the crowd came and interfered with the crucifixion. They had to keep the peace, so to speak. But what were they doing? They were gambling for Jesus' clothes. And this seemed to be something that went on with dead guys. Well, they're not going to need those clothes anymore, so we'll gamble for them. And apparently Jesus had this seamless robe, kind of an inner garment, kind of like a long t-shirt that went from the shoulders all the way below his knees. And so the soldier said, let's not cut this up. Let's, uh, let's uh, gamble for it. Let's roll the dice or lots or straw straw, something. And you've seen maybe the paintings of where Jesus is on the cross and underneath there's the, the guards maybe throwing the dice or, the, or whatever it was they were uh, gambling for, using to gamble to see who would get that lot to get that particular piece of clothing. And this is one of the reasons Jesus is so often dismissed in our own lives is because we're distracted by other things. And I mentioned communion. I know I'm supposed to pray during communion. And I'm supposed to focus on Christ's death. I'm supposed to examine myself and recognize that I am responsible for putting Jesus on that cross because I broke God's rules deliberately, not accidentally, not understanding them, but no, I know the right thing to do, but I just don't want to do it because it's what I want right now and not put Jesus on the cross. But I find myself many times being distracted, take my life, uh, take my uh, focus away from Jesus and the cross. How about you? You ever had that in church? We're talking about that. You're sitting there and you're thinking about it and all of a sudden you go, right in the middle of supposed to be focusing on Jesus. I'm like, did they sign Freddie yet? I mean, we're laughing, but we do catch ourselves going, man, what am I doing? What am I doing? Jesus died for me, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat at lunch. I'm thinking about this thing that's going on in my life. And some of them are real worries and concern, but I'm just saying I understand how we can be distracted. But we've got to try to stay focused. And, y'all, that's why it's so important for us to meet weekly and worship and get our focus back to where it needs to be, right? That's why we take communion every week, to get our focus where it needs to be. And maybe you're thinking about something right now. Maybe it's your investments, your business, your hobby, your house. Anything can become a seamless garment that we think is important right now. But if we're playing games and trying to accumulate a little more or trying to think about how popular we're going to be or how cool we're going to be on the next post on, on social media or something, we need to stop that. And put our eyes on Jesus. The death of Jesus Christ on that cross is absolutely the most important event in history. I heard a testimony of a missionary named Glenn who him and his wife and his two small children had been in China doing mission work there for many years. And finally they had been under the oppressive government of China were put um, uh, under house arrest. And they were waiting to hear when they could go back to America. And one day a Chinese soldier came and knocked on the door and told them they could go back to America and that he would be back later to pick them up and to take them to the airport. But he said, you can only take 200 pounds of things and stuff with you. That's all you can take. So as you can imagine, the family, the husband, the wife, and the two little kids, they're all talking about what are we going to take. The, the wife wants certain things. The husband wants certain things. The kids want some games and toys, and they're all trying to get it. Now we've got to weigh it and see if it weighs 200 pounds. And so they got the scales out and the family arguments began, but finally they narrowed it down to just, can you imagine right now if somebody came to you and says, you can only take 200 pounds of stuff out of your house. That's all you can take. Can you imagine? 
So they did, and they finally got it down, and they had exactly 200 pounds on the dot of stuff they were going to take. And so later that day, the Chinese soldier came back, and he says, are you ready to go? And Glenn said, we're ready. Did you weigh everything? We weighed everything. Did you weigh the kids? No, we didn't weigh the kids. And now all of a sudden, all that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, we're just taking the kids. We're good. We're ready to go right now. You see how we can come distracted about all these things that we think that matters, and then all of a sudden something hits us in the face of reality in life about what really matters, and we got to be refocused. So in a moment, they all agree. That's why the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, those early church followers said this, what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And maybe today we're like the soldiers. We've dismissed Jesus or we know friends or, or, or we know family. Or we've dismissed Jesus. And maybe we need to stop for a minute and just look up at that cross. And we're getting ready to take communion, y'all. It's an opportunity to for us to refocus. And even if you've heard the story a thousand times, even if you've taken communion a thousand times, it should be special every time because it reminds us of how much God loves us. Even if you've been hurt by uh, church people or turned off by Christians who didn't act like Jesus at all, even if you've got a lot going on in your life, we need to turn our eyes toward Jesus today and focus on Him. As that old song says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But here's the good news of the gospel, y'all. The good news is, is even a hardened Roman soldier who was the centurion in charge of Jesus' crucifixion. During that crucifixion, during those long six hours that Jesus hung on that cross, he heard all this stuff. Take care of your mother, John, who's really my mother. Mom, take care of your son. He, he heard the banner between the two criminals. Remember me today, Jesus. And Jesus says, I do remember you. I will remember you in paradise. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The soldier's probably going, what? Those religious leaders, you're going to forgive them? You're going to forgive us for hanging you on a cross? And ultimately, in, John, in Mark's gospel, chapter 15, in verse 39, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus these six hours saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Even a man who had gotten used to killing people for a living said, surely this man was the Son of God. It transformed him. So maybe you need to make that confession today. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to confess, surely he was the son of God. And there's a lot of things that lead us to that point. But we're going to offer that invitation as we go into our communion time. If there's somebody here today that wants to make that confession, that surely he was the son of God. And want to name him as your Lord and Savior and be baptized into him, we offer that opportunity this morning. Or you're looking for a church home where we believe that. Y'all, we aren't perfect. We're going to mess up and we are going to disappoint you as people in the church. I promise you. I will hurt your feelings or say something stupid and foolish. But ultimately, you don't worship us or me. You worship Jesus Christ.